Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. All right. Uh, so for those of you who don't know me, I am Jim Conley. Yeah, That's right. Uh, I am the eighth grade boys e-group leader. Uh, eighth grade boys, thanks for the cheers. Uh, I've been with these guys two years and my... My love for them is completely conditional, uh, and that's exactly why. No, no cheers. Uh, <laughs> eighth grade boys, where you at? See? Thanks, Joel and Sam. <laughs> All right, so for, for those of you who have been here before and you have seen the speakers we've had here, between Miss Pat Carlos and Jamie Dishman and Jamie Conley and Jeremy Smith and Chad Young, man, they're, they're just, they were so amazing. They're coming here to speak to you guys, and they're, they're teaching me at the same time, and I can't thank them enough for what they do. I'm not that guy. All right. Thanks, Laney. Man, so it begins. All right, so enough of the introduction. Uh, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this night, God. We, we thank you for bringing us all together. Uh, help us to focus on you, Lord. Help us to focus on, on your word, on what it is you, you want to get across to us tonight, Lord. God, we just ask for your guidance. We ask for you to, to show us the path that you have for us and, and to help us with our decision-making. And, and God, we just ask that you, you help us glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So, so far through Mark, we've seen... A, a lot. We've seen Jesus go out of his way time and again to perform his miracles, to, to just prove to everyone who he is, that he is the Son of God. You know, he's been healing the sick and, and helping people walk and get their eyesight back and all this good stuff, and there are still people who doubt who he is. You know, but at this point, you know, he's two years into his, his ministry, he's at the peak of his popularity, and... And also, by the way, he just had his, one of his closest friends, in John the Baptist, beheaded and has had his head served on a platter. I'm assuming Don went over that last week when I wasn't here. Anyway, so we're going to start with, in Mark 6, verse 32. 30, there we go. I was going to remember it all and just show off, but then I realized God respects the humble, and so I didn't. So we'll all read it together. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is the desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, what, and when they, had found out they said, five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in group, groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. 
And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. We'll stop right there for a second. We're going to break this down into two separate stories because they're both equally incredible. So if you can go back to, to 30, we'll, we'll start at the beginning. Uh, so basically right now Jesus has all his people in a desolate place because he needs his time to grieve the loss of John. Uh, he kind of wants to be alone. He kind of wants to get away from everything. Uh, and then uh, up from on top of the mountainside, he sees this crowd of people show up. And they say 5,000 men. And 5,000 men who are going to drag their wife and kids. And it's, if it's the corns and the dishmans, that 5,000 turns to 25,000 pretty quick. <laughs> so we're guessing around 25,000 people there. And, you know, Jesus being selfless like he is, he's, okay, let's, let's go. He can see that they, they need him. So... All right, so we're going to pass this up. Go to 32. There we go. Nope, that's not it. 35. (laughs) Next one. Thank you. Send them away to go to the countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat was what they, they... they said to Jesus, and he's like, we're going to feed these people here, see what we have, and, and we'll, make it, we'll make it work that way. And they're like, we have five loaves of bread, and we have two fish. That's, that's what we have. And so they were doubting what Jesus could do. He's like, well, we're going to make this work, and they're like, there's, there's no way this is going to happen. You know, I know what it's like to feed you guys at camp, and five loaves of bread ain't going to get us too far. So... <laughs> At this point, he tells his people, he's like, hey, set them in groups by 50 and 100, and we're going to take this basket, and we're going to feed everybody. And I'm wondering how many people he had to go back and count, double check. Hey, is this 50? That's 48. Don't cheat me. I want 50 here and 100 here, 50 here and 100 here. So we get these people lined up, and they start pulling out food from the basket. And there's enough to feed everybody, and there's 12 baskets left over. So... What Jesus did when he had the five loaves and he had two fish and he looked up and he, he prayed and he was thankful for what he had. Realistically, it's not enough. But Jesus was still thankful for what they had. Which kind of leads me to what, what we deal with these days or what we, how we look at things these days. Everything we have, we, have we, we believe that it's not enough. We wake up in the morning and what's the first thing we do? Ugh! I didn't get enough sleep. At the end of the day, it's like, oh, I didn't get enough done. You know? Or we work as much as we can to make money, and we don't have enough time to spend it. Or we want to get out and do all kinds of stuff, but we don't have the money to get out of the house. So at what point is, is not enough enough? Make sense? No? Probably not. Thanks, man. So... So Jesus performs this miracle, which I'm pretty sure Matt Carnes can maybe fact-check me here, but I think this is the only story that's in all the Gospels. Right? You don't know. You can fact-check it. Tell me tomorrow morning. (laughs) 
So. See? Thank you. Between the cards and the dishman, somebody's going to help me here. So, all the people are gathered around. They're eating. They're full. Everybody had, was, had as much as they wanted. And so they're all thinking, hey, here's my king. This is the guy I'm going to worship. He's the guy that's going to lead my revolution. He's the guy that's going to, you know, lead a coup and, and kill Herod, and I will serve behind him because... He can heal our sick, and he can solve our problems, and he's an endless supply of food. This is my guy. That's how they viewed Jesus. That's what they expected from him. That wasn't his plan at all. He wasn't there to, to kill. He was, he was here to die. He wasn't here to lead anything. He was here to offer salvation. It's true, too, Annie. So... He came to be a servant, not to be a king, not to be a leader. He didn't come with a social agenda, a political agenda, an economic agenda. He came with a spiritual agenda. Once again, it's true. You can fact check it if you want. So when the people realized what Jesus was here for, when the people realized what he wanted to give to them, and it wasn't matching up with what they wanted, well, then some of them weren't interested anymore. Some of them are like, look, dude, I'm just here for the free bread and fish. You know, you can keep that other stuff. I'll, I'll holler at you later. So that becomes the issue of people looking at Christ, looking at being a Christian, and just wondering, what can I get out of it? What does it do for me? You know, how, how does this help me? Instead of, instead of what can Jesus do for me, you need to get to the point in your life where it's, what can Jesus do through me? <laughs> Thanks, John. So all these people here are expecting stuff. They want momentary and temporary stuff instead of, instead of Christ, instead of having that in your heart. Because Christ is always enough. Stuff is, is never enough. You know, you can have the, the car you want. And then Elijah gets a car, and it's jacked up with knives or rims. So what you have now, you were excited about two weeks ago, is it's not enough anymore. It's always, you're always going to be chasing the next thing until Christ, until you realize that Christ is enough. Until you realize that you get to that point, you're always going to be chasing more. It's never going to be enough. So you've got to get to the point where you ask yourself the question, do you trust God or do you trust stuff? Are you seeking God or are you seeking stuff? And, and what can Jesus do through you as opposed to what can Jesus do for you? So even though all these people wanted Jesus to be the king, they wanted, to, they wanted him to solve all their issues for him, Jesus knew his purpose. His purpose was to be a servant. His purpose was to offer salvation. His purpose was to die for our sins. He didn't confuse that with anything else. He didn't stray from that. And it's important also that you guys learn your purpose. Getting a good job, becoming a millionaire, it's not your purpose. It's a goal. It's a good goal. Doing good in school is a goal. It's not your purpose. It's not what you're here for. Your purpose is to glorify God and to make the people in your lives around you better. 
That's your purpose. Don't confuse your purpose with your goal. Hmm. Once again, it's true. You know, your purpose isn't to get on Instagram or, or Facebook and bash somebody for taking a selfie with their dog. You know? Your purpose is to, is to love everyone. Your friends, your neighbors, you love everyone. No. I want to, but it's... Uh, your purpose isn't to get on Twitter to express, you know, how much you don't like somebody. If you're going to get on Twitter, express kind words. Or like I like to say... Tweet people how you'd like to be tweeted. Been sitting on that one for three months. Whew. <laughs> That's also true. <laughs> Jamie thought it was going to miss. Huh. Long sleeves was a bad idea. Thanks, ma'am. Ma'am. <laughs> okay, so if the apostles can look, and when Jesus says, hey, we, we got enough, and, and they can look at it and probably roll their eyes and say, man, I don't think that's enough. You know, can you be grateful over what you have, even if it's not enough? Can you accept not enough as enough? Can, can you... No, let's pass that up. We're going to cut that out because Don ran over. We had to do e-groups. So if we're going to talk about our focus and we're going to focus on Christ as opposed to focusing on stuff, one thing I want you to understand is that the object of your focus is going to regulate the extent of your faith. So the object of your focus will regulate the extent of your faith. So whatever you're focused on, whatever you're shooting for, whatever you're dreaming for, if it's, not, if it's not on your walk, if it's not on your path, if it's not Christ-like, then people are going to notice. People are going to see. It's, it's going to be evident in what you're focused on. You know? And I'm sure I'll hear a lot of you guys say, man, I need to get that girl. I need to get that, sho- that pair of shoes, that shirt, that whatever. I don't hear a lot of, man, I need to get closer to God. I need to get this. I need to, I need to get in my word more. You know, you hear that at conference, you hear it at camp, but, you know, when that stuff's three and four months gone, well, you don't see the same people anymore. You know, they get out in the world, and, you know, they go back to school, and they get around their old friends, and you know what? Those kind of things aren't, aren't the same. Most of you guys I've seen here a ton of times. You guys are pretty consistent, so I can assume that you guys have your focus in the right place, and that's, that's great. It's admirable. You're way ahead of so many other people. You have to train yourself to stay there. It, it's not easy. Being a Christian isn't easy. You have to focus on Christ instead of stuff. So, if we're being completely honest, it happens to me too. Okay? I complain about not having enough. Sometimes I focus on the wrong things. Sometimes I will call Jamie from work and say, hey, what's for supper tonight? And she will say soup. I don't like soup. Soup is not enough for me. I need meat. Okay? And so I say, why, why soup? That's not enough. And her response is almost always, but it's soup season, Jimmy. It's fall. It's soup season. 
There's no such thing. In Louisiana, there's four seasons. Crawfish season, hurricane season, Mardi Gras season, and football season. There is no soup season. Okay? That's... <laughs> I see you. I heard you. We'll talk about it later. So, this, this one particular miracle, this one particular story, this one particular event, which estimated 25,000 people were impacted by it. Not saying they all accepted it, but that's probably the biggest, I'm, I'm pretty sure, once again, you can fact check me, tell me tomorrow, Pretty sure that's the one miracle that affected the most people at one time. Pretty sure the most people could see Jesus working and still have issues with understanding who he was. Now, hang it. Uh, can we pull up numbers 27, 16, 17? Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Basically the same thing that was referenced earlier in, in Mark chapter 6. Jesus is standing on the mountainside, trying to get away from everybody, doesn't want to be around anybody. Looking down, and you see 20,000 people lost, in trouble, no guidance, no direction, no leader, Jesus could have just stayed up there and said, look, man, I got my own problems right now. I got my buddy just got his head served on a platter to two crazy chicks. I don't have time for these people. That's not what he did. He went down there to be their leader, to be their shepherd, to save these lost people. Some, some took it, some didn't. The fact of the matter is Jesus was there as a servant. Jesus was there as a shepherd. Jesus was there as a leader, not as a king, not as all this other nonsense. So now we're going to skip to the next story, which is 44, right? 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up the 12 baskets full of broken. 12 baskets? Where'd that come from? You're not at Chili's where somebody comes and asks you, hey, you need a to-go box. Where'd the 12 baskets come from? I'm going to ask that question to Matt Garns tomorrow morning. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, which I think is translated into fish house, which is awesome, while he dismissed the crowd. Yeah. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, he meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So if you could picture this, Jesus is he's back on the mountainside and he's praying. And he commands his apostles to get in the boat and to cross to Bethsaida. When Jesus goes away to pray, it's not like when you and I go to pray. 
We're talking 12 hours of prayer of Jesus talking to God, not, not our 30-second, one-minute, two-minute prayers that we do. So he's up there, and he's doing that, and he commanded these guys to go out. And so they go out, and it's rough seas. It's wind in their face, and they're not in Noah's Ark. They're in a fishing boat, probably not the sturdiest thing, so you can imagine how scared they were. They're, they're terrified. They're, they're struggling to, 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 keep, to keep the path. But they kept rowing, which I found to be pretty special. So, so after hours of struggling at the oars, they look over and they see, they see Jesus on the sea. That's how it's on there, walking alongside of them. And so when you're fearing death already, when you feel like your little raggedy boat's not going to make it where you're going to go because you're going to capsize, and you look over and there's a man on the sea... You can understand why they thought it was a ghost. And you can understand how terrified they were. And you can understand the girly screams that probably came out of their mouth when they saw him. And the part that I find interesting here is that Jesus watched them from, from the evening. He watched them out there struggling. And he didn't go immediately to help them. He went, when they say, at the fourth watch, which is roughly in between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So all night long, basically, these guys are out there struggling at the oars, trying to make headway, trying to get across to Bethsaida. Throughout all of it, they kept rowing. We need better light up here. So Jesus said to them, Do not fear, it is I. He got in the boat with them and he calmed the seas. But I... I I think what he was trying to do is he wanted them to see him. It says he was trying to pass them by. I don't know that his intentions were to pass them by. He wanted them to see him on side of them. He wanted them to see what he was doing. He wanted them to see who he was. He wanted them to see who his, what his power was. All throughout Mark, Jesus is trying to get the point across of who he is, what he's capable of, and, and he doesn't abide by the same rules as, as man. And when they finally realized it wasn't a ghost, and they finally realized who it was, and he got in the boat, and he calmed, he calmed the storm, and, and they were like, okay, you know, this guy, is, he's something else. And actually, you know, if, if you hear the story from John, you know, Peter goes out there with him. Just, he, he asked Jesus to command him to go out there with him just to prove that Jesus' power. <clears throat> So the lesson here for the 12 is that if you accept him, there's no need to fear because he's with you, no matter the circumstance. And for you guys, when we're in in a bad situation and you're calling on God to help you, God's not coming to change your circumstance. God wants to change you. He doesn't want to change what you're doing. He wants to change you. He wants you to reach out to him. He wants you to lean on him. He doesn't want to just get you out of a bind to save you because you deserve it. That's not what it's about. So if you're in a place of obedience, if you're where you're supposed to be, you have nothing to fear. These guys struggled at the oars for hours and hours because they were commanded to cross by Jesus. He watched them struggle. He watched them do what, they command, what he commanded them to do. 
I'm not saying that's why he waited, but at no point, no matter what struggles they came up with, no matter what they faced, they kept rowing. They kept doing what they were told to do, and next thing you know, Jesus is in the boat with you. They were obedient. They did what they were supposed to do, and Jesus was on side of them. In the face of adversity, they kept rowing. You know, you, I heard a few months back, and it stuck with me over here, that you can't be in God's favor if you're being disobedient. So maybe that's true. I don't know. We could fact check, fact check that one too, Annie. So at some point, we're all going to deal with adversity. We're all going to face it. And, you know, that's going to be your choice. You're going to bail out. You're going to jump out the boat. And you're going to keep rowing. Are you going to keep on God's path? Or are you going to do take the, the, the way of least resistance? You know, uh, Christians, winners, they're going to do whatever it takes. You know, losers, worldly people, they're going to take the easy way out. The winners are going to do what it takes. They're going to keep rowing. They're not going to bail out. You with me, Elijah? <laughs> Bilingual. Love it. <laughs> you know, uh, adversity is, is, is it's, we're all supposed to deal with it because it's supposed to make us stronger in Christ. It's supposed to, to further our faith. Th- that's why we're going to deal with it. And, and God's not coming to rescue you from, from what you're dealing with. He's coming to invite you to him. I would love to know what y'all are talking about back there. I did, because he said C. <laughs> Where's Abby? Anyway... Uh, <laughs> every situation in your life that you don't see a way out of, before God ever let you get in that situation, he already knew how, how he was going to, to help you. He already knew how he was going to have his outstretched arm and his mighty hand there to save you. But you have to stay obedient. You have to continue to stay in God's favor. You have to continue on the path, even if it's not the path, path of least resistance you have to keep rowing at any point no matter how hard it seems no matter how uh, weak you are you have to keep rowing you have to stay on God's path you have to be obedient and, and you just have to keep rowing so you know sometimes you're going to be afraid uh, that Jesus is watching you know, sometimes you're going to feel alone Jesus is still watching. You know, we have to... You have to understand that it's okay to be afraid sometimes. Sometimes you're going to have to do it afraid. Sometimes you're just going to have to know that you're doing the right thing, you're in the right place, and Jesus is with you. You have to keep rowing. I'm going to say that one more time, I'm sure. But when, even in times when you say, hey, I read my Bible, I go to Elevate, I go to church on Sunday sometimes. Nothing's happening. I don't see any difference. Keep rowing. You have to stay the path. Jesus is with you. Jesus is watching. And so continue being obedient. Keep being where you're supposed to be. Keep rowing. And Jesus will climb in a boat with you. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for tonight, God. Thank you for this group of students, God. Thank you for this group of leaders. And thank you for being you. Thank you, God, for, for putting us in situations that are going to test us. And, and thank you for being consistently there with us. God, just show us to be obedient. Show us your path. You know, let our focus be on you and not on stuff. God, let there be no limit to our loyalty for you. Let there be no distraction that takes our love and our focus away from you, God. God, just look after us, guide us, show us where you want us to be, and we will keep rowing. In your name we pray.